Laudator Jesus Christus. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well this fourth week of Advent as we approach the great feast of our, our Lord's Nativity. Yes, getting ready for Christmas. It's almost here. Yes. It's beginning uh, to look a lot like Christmas, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, usually I live in Colorado, as you know, and it's always, you would think that, you know, the snow would be pretty predictable around Christmas time, but actually it looks more like fall outside than winter right now. So we'll see, maybe we'll get some unexpected snowfall. And I imagine where you are, there's, there's not a, a high likelihood of having any no. snow down there. Down doesn't look doesn't look like it, no. Yes. All right. So this will be our, our final show of 2021. It's certainly been quite a year. Um, I was trying to think of some of the top stories from this uh, this past year, but actually what dawned on me is that the year began, as you may recall, with a, a liturgical bombshell that documents Spiritus Domini concerning mm. the, the orders of well, what used to, what should be known as the the minor orders of Lecter and uh, and acolyte being opened up mm-hmm. to women uh, in contravention of the entire church's tradition and history. I believe that was in January, and then in the middle of the year, of course, which uh, July sixteenth, uh, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the day which will live in infamy, uh, the Vatican released Traditionis Custodes which was really a, a nuclear attack on the traditional Latin mass and the traditional other liturgical rites as well. And then most recently, as viewers probably know, and if you were able to to watch, uh, join Brian's Q&A session on Saturday, we thank you for doing that. On this latest, the second nuclear attack, as we're calling it, uh, responsa ad dubia from the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. So that's kind of the, I guess you could say, the liturgical trifecta for this year. <laughs> so our, our stories for this week are going to include a, a look, first of all, at that uh, responsa ad dubia, the, the document purporting to respond to questions that bishops have submitted, although we have reason to believe, based on precedent from the, um, the, serv- the 2020 survey of bishops, uh, that that the Vatican is again misrepresenting the bishops in this matter and probably just concocting, you know, questions that are to their liking so that they can respond and put out the information that they want. That's a very high likelihood of that having happened. So we'll cover the the document released last Saturday by the CDW. Uh, we're also going to look at a significant leadership change that happened this week in the Roman Curia, which is you know, another way of thinking about the Curia is basically like the Vatican bureaucracy, the system of off the collection of offices in Rome that help uh, do the day-to-day business of the church in Rome. And this one involves the dicastery for promoting integral human development, which is a new, like, I think some people refer to it as kind of a super dicastery. It combined several smaller offices into one entity about five years ago under Pope Francis. And this office also happens to be the one in charge of the Vatican's COVID-19 commission. Um, Speaking of which, we're also going to look at the latest from the Vatican regarding that subject of COVID and and jabs and uh, a new memo that's been released by the Secretariat of State regarding mandatory jabs or proof of having recovered from COVID as a a condition of employment. also, there are several stories this week actually involving this this issue. So we also became aware of a uh, a Catholic psychiatrist, medical ethicist, and university professor who has recently been fired for refusing to take the jab, even though he has natural immunity. And we'll get into the details if he's, you know, he's suing his former employer, uh, the University of California at Irvine, um, on the grounds that he has natural immunity. So we'll get into the details of that uh, later in the show. Also, an interesting revelation uh, regarding very positive comments about Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre attributed to 
none other than Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger in 2003 while he was serving as the prefect for the Congregation uh, of, for the Doctrine of the Faith. And then lastly, we're going to look at the latest from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. He, uh, I guess, late over the weekend or and early this week, he released both uh, a message to the people of America as well as a Christmas message, you know, addressed to people around the world. So we'll take a look at those. Uh, before we get into all of the news, as we always do, we'll take a brief look at the church's liturgical calendar and uh, try to ground ourselves in the spiritual riches of Holy Mother Church and ponder the things that are above for a few moments, as St. Paul says. So we're coming to you today live on Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. And there is no saint listed on the traditional Roman calendar today. It is a, a feria of Advent. And so the readings for Mass today, if you went to the traditional Latin Mass, revert back to the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, which in which we hear about uh, St. John the Baptist. I was just going to read a little bit from the gospel. And then I also had one other thing to read <laughs> that I think will relate to some of today's stories. So I'll just kind of paraphrase the gospel so I can get into the other reading. But uh, it's the account in St. Luke's gospel, chapter three, the beginning where he's going into the history, uh, you know, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, going through all the local uh, governors and rulers under Caesar. The word of the Lord was made uh, unto John, uh, the son of Zachary in the desert. And he came into all the country about the Jordan, preaching the baptism of penance for the remission of sins, as it was written in the book of the sayings of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And as we know, Archbishop Vigano has uh, made that reference to, you know, made that connection between himself and John the Baptist, both kind of being a voice crying in the wilderness. It's also the title of the book of his writings that Brian uh, put together and, and have some excellent commentary in there as well. But uh, that gospel, so the gospel for the fourth Sunday of Advent actually comes from Ember Saturday, the previous day. And I, I uh, when I was opening my missile, the, the epistle for that day caught my attention. It's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it regards the coming of the Antichrist and all of this globalism and stuff like that. I think it's very applicable for what we're going to discuss today. So this is how it, it reads. Brethren, we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and of our gathering together unto him that you be not easily moved from your sense, nor be terrified, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by epistle as sent from us, as if the day of the Lord were at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for unless there come a revolt first, that's often interpreted as a great apostasy, uh, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and is lifted up uh, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as if he were God, that's obviously the Antichrist, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity already worketh, only that he who now holdeth do, uh, do hold until he be taken out of the way. That's where we get the, in Greek, the catechon that Archbishop Vigano has written about and that uh, we've discussed on this show before. And then the passage ends by saying, And then that wicked one shall be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus shall kill with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So it's a reminder that Advent is a time not only to prepare for uh, celebrating the first coming of our Lord, his nativity, but also to prepare for his second coming. And interestingly, at the end of this passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we find the verse, um, St. Paul exhorting us to stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you received. So it's in the context of talking about, um, 
you know, the coming of the Antichrist and the great deception and the great apostasy and all of that stuff that we're exhorted to hold fast to tradition. So that's very interesting. We should, something we definitely should keep in mind. I don't know if, if Brian had anything else he wanted to add, maybe about the upcoming saints on the calendar. Yeah, we have a powerhouse week coming up. So after the Feast of Christmas, and remember Christmas, you know, traditionally lasted eight days. It was an octave uh, because it was too great a feast to celebrate in one day. Uh, but also during that, some some great feasts. The first day after Christmas, although this year is the Sunday within the octave, so that would be the primary liturgical, but uh, is the Feast of St. Stephen. So the church immediately goes from the birth of Christ to the first martyr, reminding us that with the joy of Christmas comes the cross and comes suffering. Uh, so the proto-martyr, St. Stephen. We also have uh, St. John, the beloved apostle. And then again, a reminder of what, what our Lord's coming brings. We have the holy innocents uh, who yes. remind us that suffering and uh, sacrifice come come with joy. Um, then we have uh, St. Thomas Beckett, really important fee, uh, saint. I talked about him in the Angelus Conference back in Kansas City two weeks ago. Uh, a real model for what the bishop should be doing to the New World Order, standing up to them <laughs> to defend the church. Um, and then St. Sylvester. The Obviously, we have uh, the end of the year. If you can, if you have a traditional parish, it's very customary to celebrate, to mark uh, the end of the year at a holy hour. Uh, you know, many traditional churches will do this and they will sing the Te Deum at the end of the uh, year, right? As we approach midnight uh, to thank God for all the graces we received this year. And then yes. uh, they begin the next day. Uh, you begin January 1st with uh, the Veni Creator. And each of those days, the church grants a plenary indulgence for singing in the church, the Te Deum on December 31st and the Veni Creator Spiritus set on January 1st. So if you can get to a traditional church, you know, while everybody else is out in doing other things, uh, <laughs> as midnight turns into the new year, you can be imploring our Lord before his presence uh, to uh, watch over his church and over all of us. So uh, great week coming up. Uh, and uh, we, because of it, we will take a break during the octave. So there'll be no uh, weekly news roundup. We may post things to the website or release some other video content, but no news roundup next week. The next one will be in 2022. Uh, on, yes. Would that be January uh, 6th? Is that right? Yeah, uh, 5th. It'll be January 5th. Yes. Yes, day before the epiphany. Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, I'll let Brian uh, take us through this responsa ad dubia. If you haven't had a chance to read his very thorough, uh, detailed analysis on our website, I encourage you to do so. And we have kind of a, a humorous meme to go along with it. It's obviously a serious subject, but sometimes, as John Venari knew so well, you have to keep your humor in these times or else you <laughs> so that we don't get bitter and despair and all that, that bad stuff so right very true that's important uh but i unfortunately we had a um present from archbishop roach who we've talked about previously uh although we're still waiting i've lost track of how many years for the Pope, the Vatican, to respond to the dubia of the four cardinals. Supposedly, there were so many dubia racking up from uh, bishops about Traditionis Custodes that they had a quick get of responses out to these, these dubia. As Matt indicated, a lot of people have speculated that these were not questions sent by necessarily bishops. I mean, maybe some of them were. Um, these were, you know, prompted questions so that the answers uh, could be could be given. So here's the uh, uh, text that, that Matt mentions. It goes through in much, much more detail, uh, obviously, what we can do now. It is, as I said, a set of posed as a set of questions to interpret traditionis custodes. Mm -hmm. But really, the interpretations, uh, you know, are, are sweeping and really present, according right. to their terms, uh, much greater restriction. Just to a few of the, the low lights. The, I would say the so-called explanatory notes are probably even more significant, wouldn't you say, than yes. the, the questions and answers. That's yes. really the, the meat of yes. the document. Yes. yes, the explanation for the answer. Uh, and so really, the, the key points, they claim the pontifical has been suppressed. The pontifical is uh, for bishops, the, the administration of sacraments and other ceremonies by bishops, which would suggest, and they, they basically say, no ordinations and confirmations. Um, 
They also say the ritual is suppressed. The ritual is where all the other sacraments would be contained. Um, and they do say, however, bishops could, for a time, grant permission for personal parishes only to use the ritual. So if you go to a diocesan, you know, a parish, can't get confession. But if you go to a personal parish, you know, then you can have confession. And many people pointed out, I saw this on Rati Chaley, that they, they didn't even know what they're talking about, right? And what the, in, in suppressing these things uh, or how these books fit together, because some of the things they suppress are actually copied in the Missali Romanum. <laughs> and so they actually appear there when they tried to suppress them, they kind of didn't even remember or another absurdity. The right for the, the uh, faithful to receive communion at mass is actually not contained in the Missal. It's in the ritual. So technically, if you applied the letter of what they wrote, no lay people could ever go to communion at the traditional mass anymore. The priest would receive <laughs> communion. That was it. Because the part, you know, the explanation of how communion is distributed, this the third confidior and then the dominion sumdinius, all comes from the rite of reception of communion, which is in the ritual, not in the missal. So again, they, it just, it goes, I mean, I don't, I'm not suggesting any priest should not give out communion, but it just shows they don't even know the text they're suppressing or how they fit together. Um, uh, they obviously doubled down on priests uh, not getting permission. They made it very clear that newly ordained priests, that there's no way these bishops who have so much to say in synodality uh, can grant permission without the Vatican's approval. They also said that bishops are not allowed to grant an exception for diocesan churches to be used for traditional masses without the Vatican's affirmative consent. So not too much in favor of collegiality when it comes to this. Um, right. Also, some more nonsense on the lectionary. Uh, you can't print up a lectionary. Well, as as many people, I think Dr. Kwasniewski has pointed out, there already is one. It's called the Evangelia, the uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, the Epistolarium and Evangelium, which contain the Epistle and Gospel for a Solemn Mass. So again, they don't even know what they're doing. Uh, weird that if you if the bishop gets permission from Rome and lets the the mass be in a parish church, uh, you can't print it in the bulletin to let anybody know it's there. Right? <laughs> that's that's, my that's personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. That's how detailed they are. What you can and can't print in your parish bulletin in this right. new bottom up church of Pope Francis. And then they have the audacity to claim in that same section where they talk about you know no advertising traditional masses quote. There is no intention in these provisions to marginalize the faithful who are rooted in the previous form of celebration. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Give me a break, Jared. How dumb do they think we are? I mean, that's obviously the intention is to marginalize. Exactly. While you're sent off to your, you know, four by four chapel in the far flung reaches of the diocese where nobody can know where you are, we're not trying to marginalize you. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's absurd. I mean, the whole thing is just utterly absurd. Um, a variety of reactions. Several people have cataloged them. Uh, one that I'd like to warn against, there's a few people who are doing what, what a lot of traditionalists did in the 1970s. There are all these articles written about Missali Romanum, the document of Paul VI promulgating the new mass and picking apart the exact words. And this isn't legal and it's not technical and he missed this word. And again, there was some merit to some of those arguments. But to me, it was kind of like the people that are trying to claim, oh, Benedict didn't really resign. You know, he didn't abdicate because of this word and that Latin text when he repeated himself like three times, which would have been enough to be an abdication. I have abdicated. I abdicate. Right? It, it, it's clear what his intention was. And these little nitpicky things are, are just sort of missing the mark. Same thing. Paul VI clearly wanted to promulgate the new mass. That was his clear will. And 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 kind of arguing against it on this technicality is, is a pretty, I think, weak response because there's a much stronger response. I mean, quoting Benedict XVI, the church cannot forbid what has always held sacred. So this is outside the scope of the authority of Roach and Francis, and Bergoglio cannot destroy the traditional mass. Um, it, it, there are legitimate regulations about you know how and when mass is said, but you cannot abrogate it. And you know that's all you need to say. All of these these nonsensical things are are, are just not for the common good of the church. And you don't have to get into a technis, technical you know, oh, this one word I think is not, you know, strong enough. Uh, they have no force of law. So that's been one set of arguments trying to argue, oh, well, there's these little glitches. Um, the one of the the former, the well, the, the North American province of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter came out with kind of an interesting statement that I'm going to read. The recent document from the Congregation for Divine Worship released December 
the 18th, does not directly address the former Ecclesia Dei communities, such as the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, who possess their own proper law. I, I'm not quite sure that's right. I mean, yes, it doesn't name them, but yeah. it doesn't exempt them. So when it says a general statement, this book is suppressed, it, it you know, if you don't say except for the priestly fraternity, they're not accepted. So I, I'm not sure what they're trying to get at here. Um, it, it, you know, a general law of the church applies to them. Maybe some um, wishful thinking. <laughs> uh, maybe. The members of the Fraternity of St. Peter promised to be faithful to our constitutions at the time of our admittance into the fraternity, and we remain committed to exactly that. Fidelity to the successor of Peter and the faithful observance of the liturgical and disciplinary traditions, quoting their constitutions of the church, in accordance with the provisions of the Motu Proprio Ecclesia Day of July 2nd, 1988, which is at the origin of our foundation. And again, I'm glad to see they're reaffirming, you know, we're not planning to break our vows, but in that very reaffirmation, they sort of note the, 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 the pickle they're in, right? We are here uh, affirming our, our, our commitment to the liturgical traditions as uh, confirmed by or uh, in, in accordance with Ecclesia Dei Afflicta, which is now revoked, right? Pope Francis made very clear all of the prior norms, including Ecclesia Dei Afflicta, no longer right. exist. So when in quoting that, you're saying we're remaining faithful to something that is no legal existence anymore, um, uh, the provisions of Ecclesia Dei Afflicta, which he has just abrogated. And again, he can't abrogate the mass, but he certainly can abrogate particular laws of prior popes. And, and he was very clear right. that that's what he was doing. Um, the superiors of the fraternity will be studying the document more closely while maintaining our ministry, the faithful entrusted to our care. And again, that's great. They're saying the faithful, I want to continue to take care of you. That's great to hear. But their problem is they're 100% dependent on the diocesan bishops. And if the bishops, as have happened, uh, kick them out, they can't. are they saying, I hope they are, we won't leave. We will not leave you. We will continue to minister to you. Or as they mm -hmm. did in Toronto back during the H1N1 when they wouldn't give communion in the hand, they were gone seven days later. So I hope their last statement, we will continue those committed to our care, that if bishops say, well, now the Traditionus Custodes is here, we can't have you in our diocese anymore, they will just say, well, we're going to stay uh, because we right. these these people are entrusted to us. Again, I hope I hope that's what they mean. And ultimately, um, I think the question is, you know, when they say they're committed to exactly that fidelity to the successor of St. Peter and the faithful observance of the liturgical and disciplinary traditions of the church, is it possible to be faithful to this particular successor of Peter, Francis, while maintaining that faithful observance of the liturgical and disciplinary traditions of the church. I mean, right. Francis is kind of making it an either or proposition. Yes. I mean, he's saying, choose me or the mass. I mean, really, it, it comes down and the sacraments is really what he's saying. Um, so one more just note, uh, again, lots and lots of people have, have commented on this. We already showed you uh, Catholic Family News, is, as well as we did a Q&A session last Saturday night. Had some great questions from all of you. So that's, uh, that's recorded. Um, Bishop Snyder released a, uh, a statement uh, my initial impression was that old wounds within the life of the church have needlessly been, been reopened under the pretext of achieving greater unity. I mean, he really hits the nail on the head right there. Uh, the new guidelines betray a hostile inflexibility. These new guidelines impose such merciless and discriminatory norms on the lives of so many young Catholics, priests, and faithful laymen and women. So he really you know, hits the nail on the head, calls a spade a spade here, uh, uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder. So really, really good response. And he encourages the faithful to let people know, let the, your, the bishops uh, and uh, the Vatican know, you're, you're, you know, this is, this is persecution and we're not going to stand for it. And that's really the only, you know, only response. No, thank you, Archbishop Roche. We do not want your gift. And we, we are right. going to carry on doing what we, what we've always done. Yes. All right. Well, we'll go into our next story. I'm hearing a little bit of an echo in my headphones. I hope it's not oh. echoing elsewhere. But um, all right. So our next story. Oh, I think that's I think it's gone now. Oh, good. Uh, next story involves that uh, leadership change that I mentioned in the Roman Curia involving the uh, dicastery for the 
for promoting integral human development, which uh, I think is a combination of the old um, Pontifical Council for Peace and Justice, something like that, and some other things. And it's also the the office that Francis put in charge of managing the Vatican's COVID-19 commission. So last week, as viewers may have heard or seen floating around on social media, there were rumors about Cardinal Peter Turkson, a very senior member of the Roman Curia, having supposedly submitted his resignation to Francis, which was very unexpected. Um, and he has since given some clarification as to his reasons for doing that. And, and uh, then just today, the Vatican affirmed or con confirmed, I should say, that uh, Francis did accept Cardinal Turkson's resignation. He's only 73, so technically he's still got two years left before the mandatory retirement age of 75. Well, that's at least for for diocesan bishops, bishops in charge of a diocese. Um, I don't know how it works for members in the Curia, but uh, could looks like he might be taking an early retirement. There hasn't been any mention that I've seen from the Vatican about a reassignment for him. And in his place, on an interim basis, the Jesuit Cardinal Michael Ch uh, Cherny, uh, a Jesuit prelate, has been uh, appointed. He's worked in that office for a few years in a different section. So here's what um, Catholic News Agency reported earlier this week. Uh, the headline says, Cardinal Turkson, Pope Francis will decide if I continue to lead Va uh, Vatican dicastery. So after some rumblings and kind of the rumor mill going for a couple of days last week, um, Cardinal Peter Turkson, the report says, told journalists on Tuesday of this week that Pope Francis will decide whether he continues to lead the Vatican Dicastery for promoting integral human development. Because he happened to be speaking at a press conference on the 21st, and the uh, Ghanaian, he's from the, the African nation of Ghana, uh, Ghanaian Cardinal confirmed that his five-year term is expiring and he is awaiting the Pope's decision on his future. And the, unfortunately, there's not, I'm going to check the Holy See Press Office website to see if there's an English translation yet of the official communique regarding him. There wasn't earlier today. So let me see here if I can. No, there's still nothing on the English. So it's I did a little Google Translate and basically it explains in 2016 was when Pope Francis set up this new dicastery, you know, on a, a five-year odd experiment or something like that basis. So those five years are up and um, Cardinal Turkson basically you know, as a matter of protocol, submitted his resignation, or, or I don't even know if that's the correct way to say it, like waiting to see if Pope Francis would renew his term as the prefect of that office. And today we found out that uh, Pope Francis opted not to renew his term as prefect and chose someone else. So here's what, um, here's what Cardinal Turkson tweeted on Sunday, December 19th, <laughs> He said, in Vatican mandates of office, heads expire at death slash resignation of Pope or expiry of five-year term of office. One surrenders mandate for Pope slash new Pope to renew, extend mandate, or reassign. Turkson surrendered in 2013. Francis renewed five-year mandate in 2016. Now must await action, uh, await new action of Pope. So, and then, so this new prelate who's, who's taking over on, a, on an interim basis, the uh, dicastery is, as I mentioned, Cardinal Michael Cherny, who is, uh, I think I remember reading, he was born in Czechoslovakia, but it would, must have grown, his family must have moved to Canada because he's a Canadian nationality. Uh, <laughs> So it says, according to the Holy See press office, the Pope accepted the resignation of Cardinal Turkson, who has headed the dicastery since its creation in 2016. Um, let's see here. And then just a little background information about Cardinal Journey. Uh, he has served as undersecretary of the dicastery and head of the migrants, migrants and refugees section since January of 2017. 
Um, it also renew. It also appointed the same uh, woman, the same religious sister who's been serving as the undersecretary. She will continue in that role uh, on an odd uh, or an interim basis. Excuse me. So the the interesting aspect to this story, a lot of people were, you know, speculating as to why Cardinal Turkson might have tendered his resignation. It now sounds like it was basically just a matter of protocol. However, I did come across an interesting insight from Dr. Robert Monahan of Inside the Vatican. He commented on this uh, last week, Friday, December 17th, which is when the rumors were kind of swirling online. And here's what he had to say. So he says, I have met uh, Turkson several times and I appreciate the goodness and friendliness of the man. Uh, now Turkson has abruptly resigned. This seems significant because Turkson in recent months has been arguably the leading representative of the Catholic Church in Africa in the Vatican hierarchy, along alongside the retired Cardinal Francis Arenze of Nigeria, now 89 years old, and the former head of the liturgy congregation, now retired Cardinal Robert Sarah, 76, of uh, Guinea uh, in West Africa. I do not know the reasons for his resignation, says Monaghan. I do know that Turkson did have a meeting for about one hour in September with Dr. Robert Malone, who, as I understand it, is one of the de primary developers of the RMNA jabs. Uh, did I say that right? R M M R N A. And he's actually come out against them very strongly. Exactly right. Yes. yes. So Monahan continues. Malone has recently called for a halt in vaccinating children based on the fact that children are not vulnerable to the virus and the effects of the vaccines are not yet fully known. Malone told me personally two weeks ago when I met with him at his home in Virginia that he had sought out a meeting with a Vatican official as part of a search for a moral authority in the world which might have the courage to speak out in favor of prudence and scientific caution and against certain potentially dangerous exaggerations and aberrations in the policies currently being followed worldwide with regard to the response to the COVID pandemic. Malone said he hoped to find that moral voice in Pope Francis. Obviously, he was very disappointed in that regard. Um, so Malone went to Cardinal Turkson, hoping that he might be able to offer Turkson insights that Turkson might bring to the attention of Pope Francis. And uh, Dr. Monaghan ends by saying, now Turkson has abruptly resigned his post. So there's just some speculation about perhaps this meeting with Dr. Robert Malone, who has, has become, as Brian mentioned, a very outspoken critic of these uh, experimental, as Archbishop Vigano calls them and others call them gene serums. Um, perhaps that had something to do with, uh, with the resignation. Perhaps. And the resignation does not seem to be just the sort of typical administrative thing because the, as do terms do expire, but normally the way it happens, they just get reappointed before the term expires. They don't go through this whole process. And uh, to have sort of an interim appointed, if you're going to continue the, the, the term, you know, wouldn't happen. So definitely something's going on, I would hope, because Turks has not been on the right side of many issues, but, right. but again, maybe maybe this has opened his eyes. Maybe Dr. Malone really got through to him. Um, but as we'll see in our next story, if he has really had a revelation and has said, "Whoa, this is wrong," it's not a surprise that he would be kicked out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, right. so maybe that's a lead into our next story. Uh, before I do that, I do have one quick update. I forgot in our Q and A last week on uh, the the dubia dubia's dubia. Uh, somebody informed us that the Bishop of Tulsa was scheduled to have confirmations, traditional confirmations, actually on Sunday. And so what's he going to do if there's pontifical suppressed? Well, it's interesting. I've been trying to get an answer to what happened for all week. I actually called the Diocese of Tulsa, Tulsa identified as a member of the press, said I had a press inquiry for a story we're working on, and made several inquiries. Just said, we'd just like to know, did uh, the bishop confirm on Sunday? Couldn't get an answer. They actually sent me round in circles, sent me to his personal secretary who said, well, I don't know what he did on Sunday. 
Interesting. Like, interesting. And then to the communication office, I had to leave a message. No, no response. Uh, so they're not saying what he did. So for those who are interested, I don't know. Uh, if anybody was there and, and has uh, a report, please uh, let us know. Yeah, but in any event, getting on to our second story, the Vatican is doubling down on the totalitarian uh, papers, please policies. So we reported previously that they were requiring a green pass to get into the Vatican, uh, not to attend mass in St. Peter's, but to go to the Vatican museums. If you were an employee of the Vatican to go into any meetings in the Vatican with any congregations of the Curia. So to access the government of the church to which every Catholic has a right or to see the treasures of the church. Well, under that system, that green pass, you had to either have proof of the jab uh, or proof that you have current immunity due to recovery uh, or a negative test. Uh, they have now in this week issued a new mandate dropping the negative test for employees. Again, all that group excludes attending mass in St. Peter's for now, um, but their employees now are must get it or uh or lose their job, essentially, uh, unless, again, unless they can prove um, immunity. Now, that may not last long because a lot of these governments that are doing that saying, oh, well, immunity only lasts four months. So if you prove you were sick four five months ago, that's not good enough, even though many studies are coming out saying it is likely a, a lifetime um, immunity. So they're really, really uh, cracking down in a December 16th ordinance uh, that they sent out. So you cannot get in uh, without this new super green pass. And uh, they, they actually state that pay will be taken away. You will not get paid for the duration of your absence because you can't get in um, without uh, prejudice, social security uh, deductions. So we're going to deduct from your non-existent pay. We're going to charge you uh, uh, and wow. you're going to lose all your benefits. So really pretty brutal. Um, they then also, the Vatican doubled down on uh, the promotion of this uh, deep state solution uh, by uh, noting to December 22nd is the anniversary uh, of the um, uh, document the CDF, by the, yeah. Yeah, the Congregation for Divine Word, uh, it's not divine, uh, discipline, excuse me, Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith, uh, yes. which which went through, again, the moral principles we've discussed before, but basically concluded, yeah, it's fine, go get it. Um, and they, on the anniversary of that, following they the docu, there were two documents issued by the Vatican, uh, one by the uh, novel Dicastery for Human Development, Integral Human Development, uh, and for the uh, Pontifical Academy for Life. Again, the Human Development one, that's where the COVID Commission is, but for also from the Pontifical Academy for Life. So the Vatican issued a, a uh, decree saying, following today's publication of new documents of the Vatican COVID-19 Commission and the, and the Pontifical Academy for Life, one year after the release of the notes on the same subject by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith and the official communique of the Pontifical Academies of Sciences and Social Science, it seems appropriate to reaffirm the position of the Holy See in favor of vaccines. The Holy Father has called vaccination an act of love since it is aimed at protecting people against COVID-19. Moreover, he has recently reiterated the need for the international community to improve its efforts at cooperation to ensure everyone has rapid access to the vaccine, not a matter of convenience, but of justice. So right. doubling down, not only on the restrictions, but on this, you, yes, go get it, go get it, this act of love uh, nonsense. Uh, Pushing and, the false narrative that the vac, you know, universal vaccination is somehow going to end the pandemic when that's demonstrably false. Demonstrably false. Now, we'll say a little bit more about those two documents in a minute, but I want to remind you, because a lot of people are playing denial games here, that yes, Pope Francis did say this. Um, he did say this. He did a... a, a public service announcement with a whole bunch of cardinals from North and South America. We played this last, you know, when this came out, uh, but I just want to play the last bit of it to prove to everyone he really did say this. Uh, here's the clip from the video. Vacunarse con vacunas autorizadas por las autoridades competentes es un acto de amor. Y ayudar a que la mayoría de la gente lo haga es un acto de amor. Amor a uno mismo, amor a los familiares y amigos, amor a todos los pueblos. El amor es también social y político. Hay amor social y amor político. Es universal. 
again, there you have it. So people who deny it, and he's done great harm by this because many people are having thrown in their face when they seek religious exemptions. Oh, well, the Pope says it's an act of love. How can you have a religious objection to it? Uh, well, you know, is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> I don't know. Um, that, you know, is the answer to that. So uh, they they are you know, really, really pushing this, showing, as Archbishop Vigano has said, they really want to, um, you know, do the bidding of the deep state here and pressure everyone. Now, you would think the Pontifical Academy for Life, who came out with one of these two documents yesterday, uh, and they're more or less both documents are all worried about children and children are suffering, all of which is true. But the Pontifical Academy of Life, you think would be doing what even the CDF paid lip service to, saying, well, even if you're going to accept these things, you have to denounce their reliance on abortion, their use of fetal cell lines, and demand that it stop. Well, you would think the Pontifical Academy for Life, that would be what it's coming out about. Well, on this anniversary, we want to take this time to, you know, make clear that, uh, you know, we are uh, condemning the use of abortion and this is contrary to life. No. Uh, here's I'll just here's what they say. I'll read one paragraph with this note, the Pontifical Academy for Life in the exercise of its mission to protect and promote life wants to take advantage of the experience of recent months and be aware of the positive resources that have been developed <laughs> during the pandemic, identifying some particularly fragile and problematic areas in order to face the immediate future with the hope that the younger generations deserve. Well, again, wait, the, 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 the positive resources and in the same sentence talking about fragile and problematic areas, I mean, it's contradictory, but right. it has nothing to do with condemning what this dicastery was set up for, de condemning uh, abortion. Uh, exactly. not, not, not at all. And in fact, uh, just quote a little bit more from the, this, this document, here's what they have to say. Uh, Reconstructing events also provides an opportunity to develop in children a trust for science faced with diseases such as COVID-19. Human intelligence is finding answers that respect the principles governing scientific research. The younger generations raised in a highly technological and scientifically explainable world can be helped to recognize that science is a process of success and failure that brings us close to the truth. At the same time, when ideological denials of the value of scientific research are emerging, the pandemic presents a significant opportunity to reaffirm the value and nobility of the human being and of the gift of one's intellectual abilities. The formulation of effective vaccines was, in addition, a result of the sharing of transnational scientific expertise and of public-private financial resources that allowed, essentially, for the production of the the vaccine. Now, again, this is this is they're playing a game. I mean, in denouncing, it's it's almost like I say all the time. Whatever they they denounce, they're really doing themselves, right? They're just right. denouncing what they do. They are being ideological, right? And their yep. their worship of not science but of ideological science, because true science, which is questioning, which is doubting, which is saying, wait, let's test this, which is we, not silencing people like Dr. Robert Malone, which which is yes, yeah. doesn't silence people. It says, wait, you found a flaw. Oh, let me let me see that. Let me examine that would be saying about these things, these jabs. Wait, we have a problem, Houston. Th there's problems here. Number one, they're not working. Uh, all the, right. again, there are two. Notice that subtle time. assertion, yes. the formulation of effective yes. vaccines. They're just presuming yes. that. Well, two stories this week, Royal Caribbean, and I forget the other, two fully vaccinated, according to their policy, cruise ships uh, docked back at port with an outbreak of COVID-19 among all the fully vaccinated. Hmm. Uh, again, there's enough evidence. I'm not saying, right, totally ineffective. I'm just, but a true scientist would say, wait, we got a lot of countervailing data here that, that's, that's showing ineffectiveness. Maybe mm -hmm. we should pause this and study it. Uh, to say nothing, as Dr. Malone's point about the, the the unknown effects. So true science would be right to be promoted, but they're not promoting it. They're promoting ideology. Repeat right. after me, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Repeat after me. Right. That that that's all that they're doing. No, and no scientist would ever say these are safe and effective because they'd say we don't know. We don't have enough data. We need more time, a true scientist. And so the, all these documents do is just show they are a department, as Archbishop Vigano says, of the deep 
state. The Vatican is just pumping out public service announcements and ideological documents to brainwash children into not thinking scientifically. And speaking of ideology, this document also has a section uh, devoted to the subject, quote, education toward universal fraternity. (laughs) Yet again, one of his favorites. So, well, and even thinking, uh, talking about uh, censorship of true science, Matt's going to tell us about another censorship story. Yes, uh, I happen to recognize this man's name because I've I've read one of his books. Uh, this is Dr. Aaron Kiriati, who is a Catholic psychiatrist, medical ethicist, and university professor, uh, formerly employed by the University of California, Irvine. Uh, medical school for refusing to be vaccinated to take the jab. And he several years ago wrote uh, a very wonderful book called The Catholic Guide to Depression, How the Saints, the Sacraments, and Psychiatry Can Help You Break Its Grip and Find Happiness. Again, for anyone who has struggled with that or may have family or friends, the book is very, it's a very excellent resource published by Sophia Institute Press and, and written in uh, conjunction with a priest who has a a doctorate in sacred theology. So we're giving it a really uh, solid theological foundation for for discussing that that issue. So Dr. Kiriati was apparently dismissed. Um, This is what the the Catholic News Agency article says. Uh, He is suing the University of California for denying him a natural immunity exemption from its COVID-19 vaccination mandate, he's been fired for refusing to be vaccinated. Um, And here's what, some quotes from what he revealed on his blog last week, Friday, December 17th. Two years ago, says Dr. Kiriati, I never could have imagined that the university would dismiss me and other doctors, nurses, faculty, staff, and students for this arbitrary and capricious reason. Everyone at the university seemed to be a fan of my work until suddenly they were not. It reminds me of the, you know, the frontline healthcare workers who were last year's heroes and now they're, you know, for having um, conscientious objections to the jab are being kicked to the curb as, as criminals, basically. So he goes on. Once I challenged one of their policies, I immediately became a, quote, threat to the health and safety of the community. No amount of empirical evidence about natural immunity or vaccine safety or efficacy mattered at all. The university's leadership was not interested in scientific debate or ethical deliberation. So again, it begs the question, who are the ideologues in this scenario? Uh, Obviously, it's not Dr. Kiriati. And, and just like it's not as the Vatican talks about, you know, when ideological denials of the value of scientific research are emerging, well, there's simply th- that's a reference to anyone who questions their propaganda. So, so they are the ones who are making this about ideology rather than science. Um, so this uh, Catholic News Agency article goes on to explain um The university's COVID-19 vaccine mandate requires all students, faculty, and staff to be vaccinated. Kiriati sought a medical exemption, not even a religious exemption, a medical exemption, arguing that since he had a bout with COVID-19 over the summer, he has natural immunity from the virus and poses no health threat to anyone on campus. When the university refused to grant him an exemption, he filed a federal lawsuit on August 18th against the University of California at Irvine, uh, the regents and its president, seeking to have the mandate struck down as an equal protection violation of the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment. The university initially placed Curiati on paid leave in October and barred him from interacting with patients or students in person until he complied with the mandate. He said in his blog post that he received official notice of his firing on December 16th. He plans to go forward with his lawsuit. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but I encourage you to read this article in full. Uh, I'll include a link in the video description. But one thing that uh, interesting 
is and this he's including this in his lawsuit as evidence that he is correct that natural immunity uh, is actually not only is it equal to um, vaccine being vaccinated, it's actually better than being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And he includes a lot of uh, of evidence supporting that claim. Um, let's see here. So it says in this article, according to his complaint, the legal document, quote, the hunt for reinfections has been a nationwide effort. And out of the estimated 120.2 million individuals in the United States who have been infected with SARS, uh, you know, with COVID-19 as of May 2021, there is not a single documented case of an individual being reinfected with the virus and transmitting it to another person. Uh, the CNA article goes on to, to mention Kiriati's lawsuit cites a recent Israeli study that compared natural immunity to vaccinated immunity. As viewers may recall, there's been very stringent um, policies in place in the nation of Israel for quite some time regarding all of this. So it says the study concluded that, quote, natural immunity confers longer lasting and stronger protection against infection, symptomatic disease and hospitalization caused by the Delta variant of COVID-19 compared to the Pfizer two dose vaccine induced immunity. So there you have it. I mean, he's he's got all the research backing him up. I certainly hope that he wins his court case. Uh, because this is going to continue happening unless people like Dr. Kiriati stand up and fight. So may God bless and reward his efforts. Yes, may he be eventually vindicated for defending science. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of it, vindicated, our next story, this actually came out a little while ago. It was earlier in the month, but there was so much to report on. It was one of those we didn't get to uh, mention earlier. Um, but this comes to our from our friends at uh, LifeSite. It really is an, a, a significant story that has not been picked up much outside of LifeSite. Well, in the summer of 2003, the then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who would later become Benedict XVI, met with two priests in a, a private audience. Um, and... LifeSite obtained the written recollections of one of these two priests. So a primary source, the written, you know, one of the priests wrote down what happened in this meeting and, and uh, LifeSite uh, has seen that. Two interesting details emerge that uh, Ratzinger uh, said that Archbishop Lefebvre was the, quote, most important bishop of the 20th century with regard to the universal church. That's a pretty stunning statement. The most important yes. bishop of the 20th century. Now, it sounds positive, but you might say that's a little ambivalent. Well, maybe, you know, he, you know, Arius was really important, not in a good way, right, in the Arian heresy. So maybe that's what he meant, uh, you, you could argue. But no, the, the notes go on, um, you know, to make it clear that he did not mean it, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, in in that sense. Uh, he honored, he actually, according to the one priest notes, he honored his uh, Archbishop Lefebvre for his work for the church. So being most important was in an honorific way. And actually says, and they quote from, again, these recollections, from my current point of view, speaking as Cardinal Ratzinger, I have to agree with Archbishop Lefebvre in retrospect about having his own bishops. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um. That's that's stunning because remember Ratzinger is the one who negotiated with Lev Lefebvre in 1988 and promised the bishops, but said, "Well, we can't really tell you when." Well, what about June? What about August? Well, well, we can't really give you a date, and that's when Lefebvre said, "Well, I just can't have an agreement with you, Ratzinger, because you, you can't give me a straight answer to the question." And that's when he went on on his own. And, and so again, Ratzinger was his you know opponent, his partner in negotiation, and he basically saying. I have to agree with them. I mean, that talk about vindicating him um, right. to read a little bit more extensively. Um, it says in the notes, it is hard to see what the church owes to Archbishop, say what the church owes to Archbishop Lefebvre, not just for his African period, but also later for the church as a whole. So that's significant. He's not just saying what he did was just been his missionary before Vatican II, uh, right. but what he did afterward. Uh, had the French Episcopate at that time shown even a little more Christian charity and fraternity toward Archbishop Lefebvre, things might have taken a different course. 
Wow, that's that mm-hmm. is uh, stunning, and uh, tells us you know what the man who was there on the ground with Lefebvre. Uh, actually, actually thinks so. Surprises hasn't been picked up by more people, but it really is a, a vindication of Archbishop. Well, and I think the one last thing to mention uh, that has direct, um, re- direct relevance today in light of this these nuclear bombs on the church's tra- uh, liturgical tradition, the yes. status of the Ecclesia Dei communities. This uh, priest also wrote down one of his this quote from Cardinal Ratzinger. Today, after the experience of 15 years of Ecclesia Day, yes. it is clear that such a work is that uh, that such a work as that of the priestly fraternity of Saint Pius X cannot simply be handed over to the diocesan bishops. End quote. Yes. Yes. Which they don't want to hand them over; they want to chop their heads off and put their head on a platter to the bishops. <laughs> so Roach wants the two. Yes. So. Exactly. Well, I know we're getting close to the end of our hour. I just uh, want to share a few excerpts from this uh, letter of Archbishop Vigano to the American people. It's so, so refreshing to have a prelate who is speaking the truth uh, with clarity and charity to us as a real spiritual father. So he, he opens by saying, um, Dear American people, dear friends, for two years now, a global coup has been carried out all over the world planned for some time by an elite group of conspirators enslaved to the interests of international high finance. This coup was made possible by an emergency pandemic that is based on the premise of a virus that has a mortality rate almost analogous to that of any other seasonal flu virus. On the delegitimization and prohibition of effective treatments, So I'm sure he has in mind like ivermectin and and hydroxychloroquine, among other things, and on the distribution of an experimental gene serum, which is obviously ineffective and which also clearly carries with it the danger of serious and even lethal side effects. He goes on to say later in the in the, the message later, or excuse me, last year, when many still had not yet understood the gravity of the looming threat, I was among the first to denounce this coup, and I was promptly singled out as a conspiracy theorist. I'm sure the Vatican, in their recent document that we quoted earlier, certainly has Archbishop Vigano in mind. Uh, Today, however, more and more people are opening their eyes and beginning to understand that the emergency pandemic and the ecological emergency, quote unquote, are part of a criminal plan hatched by the World Economic Forum, the UN, the WHO, and a galaxy of organizations and foundations that are ideologically characterized as uh, as clearly anti-human, and this needs to be said clearly anti-Christian. Really, the forces gathering, uh, the anti-Christian or anti-Christ forces gathering. He also makes reference to the the quote, electoral fraud of the 2020 presidential election uh, against President Trump, which he says has shown itself to be organic to this global operation, because in order to impose illegitimate restrictions in violation of the principles of law, it was necessary to be able to make use of an American president who would support the psycho pandemic and support its narrative. And we obviously know who that man is, Joe Biden. And this next this statement, wrapping up that section of the, the message, is quite poignant. He says, the Democratic Party, part of the deep state, is carrying out its task in an, as an accomplice of the system, just as the deep church finds in Bergoglio its own propagandist. As the video, uh, the video clip yeah, we so showed we you earlier. Shows, yes. And he goes on to focus on the social kingship of Christ and several other themes. Um, But I just want to read towards the end here. He says, Dear American brothers and sisters, dear patriots, this is a crucial moment for the future of the United States of America and of the whole of humanity. Uh, But the, the pandemic emergency the farce of global warming and the green economy and the economic crisis deliberately induced by the Great Reset with the complicity of the deep state 
are all only the consequence of a much more serious problem, and it is essential to understand it in depth if we want to defeat it. The problem is essentially moral. Indeed, it is religious. We must put back in the first place not only our personal not only in our personal lives but also in the life put God back uh, not only in our personal lives but also in the life of our society. We must restore to our Lord Jesus Christ the crown that the revolution has torn from him. And in order for this to happen, a true and profound conversion of individuals and of society is necessary. And this is, of course, the theme that Archbishop Lefebvre championed for so many years, but especially uh, after founding the Society of St. Pius X and his book, They Have Uncrowned Him, he goes into this in great detail. Uh, Archbishop Vigano says, for it is absolutely impossible to hope for an end of this global tyranny if we continue to remove the kingdom of Christ from the kingdom of Christ, the nations that belong to him and must belong to him. So he closes by exhorting us to be proud of our identity as American patriots and of the faith that must animate your life. Do not allow anyone to make you feel inferior just because you love your homeland, because you are honest at work, because you want to protect your family and raise your children with healthy values, because you respect the elderly, because you protect life from conception to its natural end. And this is significant. He says, be worthy heirs of the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen and do not follow those of your pastors who have betrayed the mandate they have received from our Lord, who impose iniquitous orders on you or who remain silent before the evidence of an unheard of crime against God and humanity. May this holy Christmas illuminate your minds and inflame your hearts before the infant king who lays in the manger. Beautiful. Well, and speaking of which, we'll just mention, after you read that, uh, if you will, want even more uplifting thoughts, he has provided uh, a Christmas message, uh, Christmas, uh, which you can watch him deliver uh, or read uh, here on the Catholic Family News website. Uh, so very uplifting, very beautiful recollection for uh, Christmas to help you prepare. So a true pastor, he he not only condemns errors and warns the sheep, but he also provides them with, uh, with spiritual sustenance. So thank you yes. for everything you've done this past year, uh, Archbishop Vigano. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end. Yes, of 2021, this program as well, but also 2021. Um, thank you for all your support this year. Uh, please, in the last few days, help us by forwarding this video to your contacts. If you haven't yet seen it, uh, I interviewed Father Laval, Laval of the uh, Coalition for Canceled Priests on Monday. Please get that video and send around. They're doing incredibly important work, and I think they may be about to get inundated with priests uh, as the the screws tighten on traditional minded yes. priests. Uh, so he's really fantastic. He tells his own story uh, to the traditional mass and his own cancellation and uh, that the priests, they're helping what he does uh, for them. So please get that video forward that around. And if you haven't yet subscribed to Catholic family news, please, we've sent just sent off the January paper, uh, which will be available to all subscribers through our, um, Zinio platform with an e-edition and will be mailed in January once the papers are printed. Great issue. Lots. There's a, a the report on Traditionis Custodis. Uh, updates are there uh, and uh, lots of really, really good content. So uh, please, if you haven't yet, if you need a last minute Christmas gift, go to our website and get a Christmas gift subscription uh, for for friends and family. Yes, definitely. Well, we will end this show, our last show of 2021, as we always do, by invoking Our Lady and, and praying for our, all of our intentions and, and uh, all of our work and everything offered all to Jesus through Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, we wish you a holy and happy Christmas. May you have... Uh, wonderful celebrations marking the coming of the dawn of grace at the uh, birth of our savior uh, with your, your loved ones and your, your close uh, friends. And we look forward to seeing you again at the first uh, week of January for the next weekly news roundup. Yes. Until then, God bless you and Godspeed. Yes. God, God bless everyone.